I'm Betsy Reed, and this is The Discomfort Practice, where I talk to creatives, activists, leaders, scientists, and a host of others about discomfort, about the role it's played in their lives, who they are and what they do in the world, and the value of discomfort in helping us move forward as a society. Discomfort is just the edge of your comfort zone, and on the other side are superpowers. So settle yourself in, and let's get uncomfortable. So I want to welcome my next guest, who's somebody I've known for, I can't even remember how many years. We met in London. She's based in Cambridge in the UK, but like me, is an American slash Brit, adopted Brit. So Shannon Hood is the founder of Walk of Life Coaching. And for more than two decades, she's mentored and trained over a thousand change leaders and used over 3,000 hours with them to maximize their personal brands to advance their impactful careers. So we're going to talk all about having impact with your career, with your professional choices today. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I would like to have a career that aligns more with my purpose, that has more impact, this is definitely one to listen to. And I know a lot of people are asking that question now after this time of pandemic where it's mushed together our personal and professional and shown us that sometimes our careers are not in alignment with who we are and what we want to do in the world. So I would put it this way. Shannon is a multiplier. She's had her own impact on the world by helping others to find theirs, and she does it very well. Shannon is one of those polished people who always has a good sense of humor, so it's a really good blend. So Shannon chose Impact Coaching to combine her diverse experience as a hiring manager, a business coach, and a CSR consultant for brands like Adobe, Deloitte, BlackRock, and WWF, so some names you probably know. And then she turned her career 20 years ago in recruiting. Is that correct? You had a 20-year career in recruiting. Wow, that is a long time in recruiting, and you look like you were born yesterday. As an ICF PCC certified coach, Shannon is a meta coach teaching Daniel Goleman's Emotional Intelligence Certification Program, and she's also accredited in the Game Changer Index. We'll have to talk about that because I don't know what the Game Changer Index is, but I think I need to know. Shannon has regularly been featured in the Huffington Post, The Guardian, Green Biz, and Triple Pundit. She speaks regularly at international conferences for groups like Caring, which owns a lot of luxury brands like Gucci, for example. Green Biz, Biz, Green Biz, I can't talk, sorry people, Hitachi, BSR, and Net Impact. Then I said, like me, she's American, but spent a very long time in the UK and is probably going to tell us a bit about how she manifested her vision board and is about to be based in Cambridge and Italy. So fulfilling a long time dream of returning to Italy. She also recently published her first book. It's called Good Work, How to Build a Career That Makes a Difference in the World, which is a fantastic title. And having known Shannon for years now, I can honestly say this book will be packed with the type of insight and advice you need if that title speaks to something in you that's saying, I really do want to have more impact in my career, but I'm not sure how. And that's what Shannon's here to help you do. So as I'm now saying more or less at the start of every interview in season three of The Discomfort Practice, we're here today having this conversation because the type of people who choose to listen to a podcast called The Discomfort Practice are probably fully aware that change is needed and they might be very embedded in the idea that they need to change some things personally or they want to be part of some change. So if you're listening to this today and you're thinking, how can I have more impact in my life, my career, my choices, this is going to be a juicy one. And also I encourage you after you listen to this to please reach out to me and or Shannon 
we're both on Instagram, we're both on LinkedIn, and we love to have contact with people and to help people navigate their way to having impact because this is a tribe. We're in this because we want to help people have more collective impact by having greater impact in their own lives and careers. So over to you, Shannon. Welcome. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here, Betsy. So I always ask guests the same first question, and it gets us deep fast. So what is an uncomfortable moment that has changed your life and shaped what you do in the world? I love that question, the uncomfortable moment, because I usually say the aha moment. So those of us that work in the impact space, there's usually something in our childhood or our lives where we kind of suddenly realized we wanted to make a difference in the world, or we were kind of drawn towards this more altruistic path. And part of the uncomfortableness of as a child was that with my mom and our church, we used to go and feed the homeless Mm -hmm. in various shelters and on food trucks and things in the kind of sketchy areas of Washington, D.C., where I grew up. And just seeing the, you know, the poverty and the diversity and also just, yeah, the hunger, really, truly just the basic needs not being met, I think really shaped me for the rest of my life to wanting to serve others and to make a difference. Although my less uncomfortable but more aha moment was when I was sitting on top of a volcano Yes, I made it to the top of the volcano (laughs) in in the northern part of Patagonia, Chile, in a town called Pucon. And I sat on top of this volcano and looked down at the most beautiful mountain, lakes, rivers, place I'd ever been in my life and thought, this place is a gold mine for nature and exploration. And I had this aha moment that, but they're not recycling. Mm -hmm. There's rubbish in the streets. There's trash in the streets. What's, you know, there's a disconnect here. We're sitting in the most beautiful place in the world, and yet there's trash, and there's not a system yet or an infrastructure to deal with recycling and just waste removal. Mm. And so that was it. That was my aha moment. I'm like, I got to do something. So that was kind of my tipping point. But also, I guess it was a little uncomfortable, right? We don't like seeing trash in the streets. So I think both of those were kind of a combination of, Two of my aha moments that shaped my journey. Yeah, that juxtaposition of a beautiful place and then realizing that it's there's trash on the ground around you. I can totally relate to that. I'm just sort of thinking, why are we doing this to our planet? What's the reason behind it? Uh, that's a complex answer we do not have time for in just an hour of recording. <laughs> but it's interesting to see how there's always been that thread of kind of wanting to have an impact, even as a kid and realizing that you could have an impact through, I have a religious background as well, and I credit it with my values and my understanding that I could have an impact on the world. And it was my obligation and privilege to do so. So here we are, very similar, actually, mm-hmm. in a lot of our background. So then I want to ask, first of all, what is an impact coach? Because it's a fantastic title, and some people might not know what that exactly means. It's something I made up (laughs) because there's a lot of different coaches in the world, types of coaches in the world. And the word coach has gotten, I think, a little bit overused and maybe diluted, Mm. which is another reason I like to to celebrate the fact that I'm a certified coach. So I've been through rigorous process and I have to recertify every two years in terms of continuing to professionally develop myself in my own coaching practice. But 
there's lots of different types of coaches. So there's career coaches, there's executive coaches, there's leadership coaches, there's life coaches. And I'm a little bit of all of those, to be honest. I do wear different hats depending on the client and what they need. But the kind of wrapping paper around it all is that I only work and support and facilitate those of us that are wanting to make a difference in the world. We want to be change makers. We want to have an impact. And that can mean a lot of different semantics sit under that from corporate responsibility to social impact to international development, sustainability, ESG now they're calling it. And so I've kind of just lumped all those terms that keep evolving and changing into one umbrella and I just call it impact. I love that because it also- To make a difference. Yeah, yeah, and it's positive impact because I think what tends to get forgotten is that we all have an impact on something and that can be negative or positive. It's not usually neutral. So just our existence in this world has some kind of an impact. And I like that you're coaching people to find their positive impact because we all can have one. So then you talked a lot about your background already, but what is, do you know, sort of in a line or in a paragraph even, what's your personal purpose and how, what's your intended impact? Hmm. Well, you kind of mentioned it early on introducing me. It's, I feel like I have like a ripple effect, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I am a facilitator, similar, I think, to you, Betsy, in terms of your roles that you serve, in that I'm, well, someone recently called me the Oprah of impact or the Oprah of careers. (laughs) I kind of motivator, this connector, this matchmaker that helps others to then be able to go out into their worlds and make the difference that they want to make. And oftentimes they are blocked by not knowing where they can do that, how they can do that, what kind of difference they want to make more specifically, and then really how to make the most of their own uh, given talents and skills to be able to live into their own potential for that impact. Oh my God, the Oprah of impact. The (laughs) The Oprah of impact, I love that. People out there listening today, you are currently listening to the Oprah of impact (laughs) and you heard it here, maybe not first, but hopefully first. I bloody love that. I'm trying not to swear as much on this podcast. I don't know why. I'm fu- I am oh, fucking no. love that. I'm going to swear. Oh, We're that's my favorite swear. word. Oh, me too. That, don't get me started. Flavorful. <laughs> yeah, the Oprah of impact. I love that. Oh, man. And that's something that so many of us probably aspire to be, the Oprah of something. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. Or the Brene Brown of something. Or I had a, a friend staying with me last week, Kendi. She's actually been a guest on this podcast and will be again, but she's a creative sustainableist and she made up the term too but she was saying the same thing like her role is that ripple that drop that causes the ripples and I personally think of myself as the eye of the storm I'm standing Mm -hmm. there calmly smiling but I'm creating a tornado around me and I love that of creating impact around you and enabling and facilitating and being a multiplier which is what I called you in my intro right Multiplier. I'm going to steal that one. Multiplier is great because it is. It's sort of like we realize these big, tricky, wicked issues we've got out there are way too big for any of us to tackle alone. And that can just be soul destroying and steal your agency. But once you realize you can be a ripple, you can be the eye of the storm, you can be a raindrop in a storm, you can, you know, it's really empowering to realize Mm. you're not alone. And to then think, okay, how can I help other people get on board with this or lead by example Mm. or just create an energy around me that creates something people might not even logically understand, but they feel it. So Mm. that doesn't make sense to anybody. Just think about what's happened when you've smiled at somebody in a crowd. Does it spread? You could try it because it does. So let's talk about impact. 
It's all about impact. I'm obsessed with impact. You're obsessed with impact. What type of impact do you see people wanting to have and what keeps them from getting there? And then we can put that in a a post, I don't know, I'm not going to say post pandemic in the current context, because I think a lot of things have shifted, but where the heck are we in this pandemic? But what impact do people want to have? What's getting in the way? And then maybe how has that changed during, as a result of the pandemic? Hmm. I've definitely seen, I saw a huge shift in my, my business in those mm. couple of years, for Me sure, in that more people had time to reflect on what are they doing with their lives, slowing down, stopping, having more time for themselves, and realizing, you know what, maybe I'm not in the right role, or I'm not in the right context, or I'm not making a difference, and I want to. So most people generically come to me and just say, I want to make a difference. And I say, what on earth does that mean? Like, let's talk specifics. Let's visualize it. Let's feel it. Let's taste it. And so I don't think there's any kind of one type of impact, to be honest. I mean, I kind of listed out a few different ways that I kind of categorize impact. And, but I do think most of us either lean towards the environmental impact or the social impact. And what I mean by that are things that sit in the environmental side would be, you know, anything from carbon to climate change to conservation and biodiversity. And then on the social impact side, it could be diversity, equity and inclusion, human rights, community partnerships with charities. So there's kind of two sides to it. And the letters ESG are now getting a little bit overused, I'm finding. But you've got the E for the environmental and the S for the social. So I kind of like it in that regard. I'm not sure that we're all in the governance space as much, at least in terms of the people that I work with that are quite motivated to make a difference in either the E or the S. So I'd say those are the two kind of key areas, but there's so much diversity within each of those, the E and the S, in terms of the sub-issues that you might want to put your stake in the ground around. And that's what I help people get clearer on Mm -hmm. rather than just staying up at this kind of generic level. I want to make a difference. I want to change the world. I want to make the environment better. That's not enough. We've got to get more specific about what are we actually going to do and about what issues. Mm. So what gets in their way? So what gets in their way is usually two things that I help them with actually clarity Mm -hmm. about what they want to do next. So what context they want to be in, what issues they want to make change around, and what skills they really want to be leveraging. What is it going to look like day to day to go out and make an impact and make a difference? So it's that clarity. And then the second one really is confidence. And I find that confidence also often can come from more clarity. So as we unpack and get clear about what is our trajectory, what's our track going to look like, where can we best use our own natural skills and abilities and talents, the confidence comes up. But usually it's a combination of those two having a bit of a gap that gets us blocked. Now, the confidence piece I see carries on. And where I see this carry on is that a lot of the executive and leadership coaching I do, once you're in a role and you are doing the impact work you want to be doing, we still often have this imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And I'm obsessed by this term right now because I keep hearing it. And strangely enough, I hear it mostly from women 
which yeah. again, I want to explore more on my own. Maybe you and I can do another podcast, Betsy, just on that. Oh, I have a lot to say on this. Yeah, I actually, yeah. I'm teaching it this afternoon in a corporate workshop. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. So yeah, might need to interview you then for a, an interview for a blog or an article. Because anyway, that's, I think then what gets us stuck once we're in the role is this ongoing self-doubt. And that is what imposter syndrome ultimately is. No one else is telling you you're not good enough. You're telling yourself you're an imposter. Mm. So yeah, I think those are kind of the, yep. the key things, clarity, the confidence, and then you know, bringing that into wherever you are, having that a sense of self, um, self-worth. Because mm, it's more than just a career shift. It's actually recognizing that you have value and purpose as a person. Well, like I said, opportune timing. It always is. I love this. So yeah, one of my sort of standard sessions I give when I'm doing resilience, well-being, leadership stuff with senior teams, which is what I'm doing this afternoon after this after this recording, is we're doing a session on self-sabotage. Mm. And two of the studies that actually pull into that, one is um, a KPMG study from the US that says that 75% of women they pulled have suffered from imposter syndrome. And 85% of people in the UK that they pulled, professionals, have suffered imposter syndrome at some point. So if anybody doesn't know what imposter syndrome is, it's this idea that you are being given a position or power that you didn't really earn. And it's accompanied by this real energetic drain of being worried that you'll be found out or that you just lucked your way into something. or But it's based in a lack of self-belief. And then often what happens is the higher up you get in a hierarchy, you know, in leadership and management, the more intense it gets because the pressure is higher, the stakes are higher. And when people start with imposter syndrome, it never gets better as they get higher up the food chain because mm. then they're just more convinced that sort of it was a fluke, just right place, right time, or they got lucky and it fails to acknowledge and internalize their own success, which of course is... Mm really harmful because a it's it's not honest <laughs> you know it sort of fails to acknowledge your own worth and your own accomplishments but then it's also a real energetic drain because it's it's accompanied by this anxiety so yeah mm. imposter syndrome is mm. such a big problem and i always do an anonymous poll in my sessions of you know whatever like 10 leaders are sitting there and ask them if they've ever suffered from this and they're always shocked to find out literally 80 percent of the room always without fail statistically they are exactly the same as all the reports that i've just talked about so yeah if you recognize yourself in that know that you're not alone and know mm. that there are ways you know you're not stuck with it it's just about working on seeing things through a different lens and acknowledging that you truly can have impact it's not that you're one of those unlucky people who doesn't get to have a positive impact it's often just about recognizing how you self-sabotage your way there because of lack of confidence or lack of acknowledgement of your worth so or, or the subconscious stories in our head from past so there's a lot mm. of psychology behind it there's a lot through the emotional intelligence training and frameworks as well that yeah. help you to rewire your brain which we now know through neuroscience that we can rewire our brains we can teach ourselves new stories to overlap or delete some of those old stories in our heads so mm. It's very empowering to know that we do have agency over our own self-worth. Mm. Well, one of the things I love about you, Shannon, and I, because I've known you for long enough to see that you do things well, you do things excellently, you study things. And so mm. 
in line with that emotional intelligence piece, you've done the Daniel Goleman emotional intelligence certification. How do you bring that into your work? So sort of building on what mm. you just talked about, like, what does that look like? Well, it, it really depends. I mean, I do full team training workshop programs around emotional intelligence, which for me consisted of a nine month very intensive course to become certified. And then I also taught it as a meta coach. So I taught others in the certification program. So there's so much content that I find I just pull the bits that I need for whatever context it is, whether it's a team in a corporate setting, or it's an individual stepping into a new leadership role, or even someone looking for a new job. I am constantly pulling from all of my toolkits and all of my own personal growth learnings Mm. and training to really customize it for whoever it is at the table. But basically what I love about emotional intelligence in terms of the framework is that it's very simple. It's about understanding yourself, Mm. managing yourself, understanding others and relationships, and having that social awareness, and then managing those relationships. And if you can do those four quadrants, or those four key kind of sections of of what we call this model, or even just increase in awareness or increase in intentionality about any of those, you're going to actually live into your own happiness, ultimately, right? And be able to feel more balanced and more grounded and So I look at it as kind of just this foundational framework that I use in kind of everything I do in terms of my coaching, to be honest. And if anybody's not familiar with Daniel Goleman, who has come up with this framework on emotional intelligence, I think he coined the term, wrote the book, all of that. I follow him on LinkedIn. I've been reading his stuff for years. Yeah, he reframed it, but yes. Yeah, Yeah. reframed it. It's older than he is, but yeah. (laughs) Frameworked it. I'm pretty sure that's a verb. (laughs) I like it. it. Yeah, he made it into this really useful framework for people to be able to apply. So if you haven't, if you're not familiar with Daniel Coleman's work, he's really worth following and reading because he puts Mm -hmm. things very, very understandable way, very useful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. I want to know what the game changer index is. (laughs) I've never even heard Ah, of that. Tell me. Yes. So the game changer index came out of also psychological study here in the UK and you can Google it. I think it's called the GC. We're calling it actually the GC index, but I actually like spelling it out to game changer Mm -hmm. index, which is what it really means. So the GC index And it basically is what we call an organometric. So rather than a psychometric where we're testing or studying ourselves individually in terms of our own strengths or weaknesses or tendencies or personalities, an organometric is actually studying how we fit within an ecosystem. So within a team or within an organization. So it's really a useful tool. It basically has a very simple like 10-minute survey that it would give to each individual within that group and then has a report that comes off the back of that that says what, where would you land in kind of a picture of five different roles. And just to give you an example, one of the roles is game changer, right? Mm-hmm. But another one of the roles might be relationship builder or another role might be implementer or strategist. And what is really interesting about this is that we all have a mixture of all of the five key types within Mm. 
the GC index. So what you end up seeing is that you're maybe have a propensity towards one, but we're not all going to be game changers. And that's okay because we need the strategist and we need the relationship builder and we need the implementer in order to move the needle. Mm -hmm. So it allows us to see a better view of ourselves in our own expectations of self and where we really thrive and where we participate in a group and how that combination of the group's different diversities of those key factors ends up being more effective if there is that diversity and that balance. Mm. So it helps us also from a recruitment perspective or from a team management perspective to be able to see, are we balanced or are we all hiring game changers? Are we hiring too many strategists? Are we Mm. imbalanced in terms of our ecosystem of our group dynamic? So there's so much there because obviously as you seek to have more genuinely diverse workforces, you need to know how to hire people who don't just think and look and act like you. And that's a really good tool. I'd not heard of it. And I think now that's brilliant. Mm. And also to anybody listening, who's thinking, I'm not a game changer. I'm not a firebrand. I'm not an activist. Great. You don't have to be just take that lesson of we're all part of an ecosystem and we all play our roles. So you can have impact by being a great accountant or HR director, or whatever it is you do, and just being more intentional and understanding that you can have impact in whatever you do. So I want to step up into the meta before we talk about specific roles that you see coming up that people maybe think about to have more impact. But what is the kind of impact that you, as Shannon, really see needs to be made these days? Where we are in our journey as humans on this planet facing some crises, what what really needs to be our focus? Hmm, that is a big question. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder, as I said, yeah. there's so, I know there's so many layers to that one, isn't there? Yeah. I'm gonna tell it from my perspective. Let's do it. as a consumer, as a colleague, as a business owner, or whatever impact change maker, whatever you however you want to label it. I think the three things that I see a lot of us needing are to get kind of a better balance towards a new, you know, a new platform, a new way of being and working so that we stop degrading the the planet and our communities is definitely around a very trendy area called DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. That has gotten a lot of more traction, which is fantastic over the last, actually kind of during the COVID days, but for other reasons, of course, especially in the US. But I think we know all the statistics about women on boards. We know the statistics about, you know, women in senior leadership. We know all the statistics about race and religion. And there's just, it's so complex, right? So Mm -hmm. diversity, equity, inclusion is a very simple way of saying, we just need to look at people as people, right? At the end of the day. And we need to get more equality across that. You can look at the North-South issues that we study in business school in terms of developing countries and developed countries. There's lots of places you can take the DEI agenda, but I think that's one. And that maybe sits more on the S or the social impact side of things. And then on the E or the environmental side of things, I think maybe not in the US as much, but definitely in Europe, we are way behind on the EV infrastructure. Mm. So if electric vehicles are really, and I'm not sure they totally are, I don't have all the details, but if they really are how we're going to help save our planet, 
because of the volume of emissions that we expend uh, in cars and also our reliance on oil. So obviously that's in question right now, given the war that Russia has started. But I think the whole EV movement is very slow and it needs to have more infrastructure, especially in Europe. I've been in an EV, I was the first mover about seven, eight years ago Mm. with young kids. And I ended up having to switch out because there just wasn't enough infrastructure for me to not get stranded, right? And so there's a lot of barriers to entry, I think, for consumers to shift towards the more responsible choices in terms of their purchasing and their behaviors. Mm. So we just generally need to make it easier and more accessible. And that leads to my third one, which is sustainable and organic products Mm. in general across the board need to be more affordable. Why are they all more expensive? How are we going to actually get the masses buying sustainable products if they're all more expensive? So there's something wrong with the economic. And I know it's probably a much bigger economic issue in terms of supply and demand and scale and volume and da, 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 da. But I think simply put, those would be my three Mm. DEI, EV infrastructure, and then sustainable products, affordability. I love it. We got the actual Shannon thoughts there, which is always lovely. This is the thing with very polished guests. I'm always pleased when I get the real them too, because it's like, (laughs) you know, we want to hear what you actually think. Because also you have decades of insight and experience and you've been watching these trends and you live these trends. So same. Yeah, that's, oh, I like that list a lot. It's been interesting because D and I, I've been being asked to do, which it's interesting because I've long been passionate about equality and social justice Mm. and and being part of breaking down systems of racial inequality. And Mm. now it's so on trend and it's not going anywhere because it's just going to increasingly be, well, permanently uncomfortable. Like I've Mm. I've said a few Mm. times, like when we actually are genuinely diverse, we're going to be constantly challenged by the perspectives Mm. of people who don't think like we do. Bring Mm. it on. Talk about discomfort practice. Yeah, it's interesting what you say, because we have so many regulatory barriers to actually making progress. I mean, having worked in the waste industry, where if you change the way that people recycle, if you improve it, you're going to be opposed by a lot of the waste industry because they have 30-year contracts and they have certain, well, infrastructure or recipes for incineration that if you change the ingredients, it costs them money and they don't want to do that because they have shareholders. And so you sort of start to see all these layers and layers and layers. And we are so capable of fast change and innovation and adaptation as human beings and as a planet. And yet we're stuck in these things like addicted to oil, these things that we know are killing our planet and therefore killing us. So but what's the big block? Yeah, the big what's block the big is block? money. Yeah, it's money. It's money. It's money. Oh. It's just this crazy thing that just it gets yeah. in the way. Well, what's interesting is what you were saying about affordable, sustainable products and money as well, because oh, somebody the other day was talking about their grandparents talked about buying a chicken back in the 40s or the 50s. It was more, but it was more of a treat. Mm. And mm. part of our, our association with things have to be cheap because that's what we go for when actually maybe it's just about spending more on something and consuming less of it. So it's a whole behavior change piece that is a challenge to all of us because we're all enmeshed in these systems that are 
killing us <laughs> that mm. are leading to mm. inequality and environmental degradation. And, and it's going to take some personal discomfort. Like mm. you were willing to be uncomfortable and to be an early adopter of an electric vehicle. And then you found that actually you couldn't get your kids to like the things yeah, they had the to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I get, you know, talk about responsible parenting 101. That's up there. But yeah, it's sort of like we're, oh, there are a lot of us who are willing to be a bit or a lot uncomfortable, but we need to be supported. Right. Mm. So Maybe this is going to land in the ears of somebody who can help with that or somebody who realizes that their mission, their purpose, their impact that they want to have is tackling some of those big infrastructure issues. Or maybe mm. this is landing with somebody who thinks, you know what, I am just going to buy less meats and pay more for quality meat that's treated fairly mm. and not factory farmed mm. or whatever. So figure out where your place is in the ecosystem, right? Mm. You talk about how mm. you help people to find their impact. So if you're listening to this, What's your impact? Don't be overwhelmed that your impact isn't as good as somebody else's or as big a deal. If it's your impact, it is vitally important. Yeah, and you are the drop. Remember, you're the drop. In the, you yeah. know, you can just be the one drop in the for in the yeah. big rainstorm or yeah. the ocean. And we need all the drops. Yeah. So. And without one drop, there's three drops, five million drops, and suddenly it's a river or whatever. Mm-hmm. So then, what kind of careers? are kind of emerging or have started to emerge that people are are finding they can have more impact having, you know, sort of how do you help mm. coach people into, what do you help coach people into? Mm. Wow. There's lots of different ways to look at that. I mean, I always say, do you want to be able to touch the impact? So do you want to be like on the ground in a developing country teaching children that can't read? Do you want to be working when I where I did like WWF and be in Kenya actually on the ground doing conservation work do you want to be in an office and still wearing a suit to work every day but making sure that the investments that their that your organization is making all are adhering to ESG criteria you know there's such a range of what kinds of roles are out there that truly anyone anywhere can be in an impact role with any skill set. So it's just so all inclusive in that way. So the fact that we kind of self exclude by saying, Oh, you know, I'm not in the sustainability space. I don't have the sustainability experience. That's just not true. We Mm -hmm. all have something that we have done in our stories that show how we make a difference or how we have made a difference or how our skills can be used to shape more positive change in any of these areas. So to, to, I'm not answering your question, but in terms of like specific roles that are now out there, I mean, we're seeing the biggest amount of ESG sustainability roles ever posted. And this is a movement now that we've been waiting. Those of us that have been working in this for 20 years we're finally seeing this shift. And part of that's coming from, I think, the Larry Fink letter from BlackRock uh, to all the CEOs of other big companies to say, we've got to all, the CEOs have got to stand up and start to really care about ESG. Mm. It's the only way we're going to shift the needle. So the investment community started to wake up. So back to the point of Mm. goes back to money, it does in a way. And until our investment community really woke up, our investors started to say, this matters and this can make us money in terms of ESG criteria. We were not seeing enough of that shift. So now that we've got kind of, I think the pandemic helped a little bit too, just in shaking things up. 
the Larry Fink letter to CEOs about you know ESG and their responsibility towards this agenda has now just increased companies and organizations and governments to say, oh, we got to do more, but they don't know how. So they're hiring in a lot of other expertise now. And one of the areas of expertise that's really needed, I'm finding a lot of in terms of the jobs that are being posted are things like being able to adhere to the regulatory requirements. So like you said, regulations can really push this forward. So regulatory requirements and then standards. So things like GRI or SASB, trying to adhere to a a universal way of measuring and reporting on how we're actually doing as organizations in these areas, rather than what we've traditionally called greenwashing. Mm -hmm. So having a bit more of that rigor and accountability for organizations through a standards and a regulatory lens has meant that the roles coming up and in need are a little bit more technical. You know, can you mm-hmm. do footprinting, life cycle assessments? Can you do scope one, two, three emissions reporting? Do you understand what's happening in the, the movement towards a more universal SASB kind of standard of reporting? So all of those kinds of, I think, more technical mm-hmm. reporting, data, measurement, giving the rigor behind a lot of this are the ones that we're seeing in big need right now. Mm. So that's useful if you're wondering what new jobs are coming up. Because then there are also things like Web3 with decentralized finance and the crypto industry and all of these things that are on the horizon that are potentially real game changers, real disruptors. There are a lot of exciting potential skills to acquire. But also, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, my God, like for me, if somebody says carbon, my face just glazes over and I'm like, oh, but I imagine you've seen the same where we've been banging this drum for 20 years. But now I see communications people and public affairs people and leaders, those in governance, understanding the risk of things like greenwash, which you mentioned, that with this greater awareness and this drive from the investment community and consumers over things like climate change and inequality, they're having to integrate a better understanding of these issues into all of their roles because it's risky not to. You can't be disingenuous about purpose or climate impact anymore because people are smart and social media is dangerous. So if you don't want to change careers and be like, ooh, that scares me, cutting edge careers, I'm about to become obsolete. No, absolutely not. These are skills that you can embed into whatever it is you do. I already talked about, you know, being the best, most sustainable accountant ever and have impact with what you do. If you love your job, you can have greater impact in your job somehow by being more aligned with your purpose, by being more granular. You talk about being specific and understanding your impact. So I just want to drive that point home over and over again to people listening that you might need to be called to make a radical change in your career. In which case, people like Shannon can certainly help coach you, but also she can help coach you on things like how can you have greater impact where you are and in what you're doing? Mm. Yeah, as well. And it doesn't always have to be in your day job. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing I tell people. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't always have to be linked to your career. There's a lot of other ways to make a difference and give back and to have impact. So 
funny enough, I was an accountant and that's how I started my career. And well, actually I was a recruiter and then an accountant. But then from accounting, I ended up translating that into doing assurance. So we would, in Deloitte, we would assure, so kind of like internal auditing, fine, uh, reports, sustainability reports. So rather than auditing a financial report, we would kind of assure a sustainability report. Yeah. And I used my accounting background in reporting and in data to be able to transition into that. And that's how I made quite a big transition myself in terms of getting into this space. I did not so, know that. That makes sense. Accountants are underrated. Oh, if you're an accountant listening to this, I mean, I would actually love to know if I have any accountants listening to this podcast, please give me a shout out. But if you're an accountant, man, you have a lot of power and influence. And I think you're an unappreciated group because it's true. You make things work. You assess risk. You you give numbers to things. So and data. If we yeah. can't measure it, yeah. we can't manage it, right? Yeah. So yeah. I think that's the theme right now that we're seeing in the whole ESG space is if you can't measure it, you can't manage it, and if you can't manage it, you can't improve on it. So the world needs more accountants who get it that they are <laughs> game changers. Yeah, if you're sort of looking to Love apply it. your skills to something game changing. Calling all accountants. <laughs> honestly, please write me. But those technical skills, honestly, those technical skills yeah. are completely transferable. And yeah. that's kind of, that's the, the challenge that a lot of us have is we think we're stuck in that role that we're in. But actually, oftentimes your skills are transferable to something else. Mm -hmm. And that's how you can make the career shift. So. God, I think I should do an audit of how many guests on this podcast have started out as accountants. So many people do. And so many high-powered people, you know, they start out in one of the big name firms. And then they can kind of go on and do whatever they want from there. So it's like, you mm -hmm. know, Accenture, Deloitte, the biggie, mm -hmm. CY. Yeah, accountants, man, you can get out there and change the world. Or start your career there and springboard into something else. <laughs> I love that we've... Turned this into how inspiring accountants are. I did not see yeah. that theme coming. I will be honest. So, it's my hidden, one of my hidden secrets about my portfolio career. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people these days too, the portfolio careers are quite interesting and often contain some hidden secrets. Mm. So yeah, I started out in the wine trade. Here we are. Mm. It was while I was there doing my degree. I know. So, See, and that still serves you. I know. Oh, it does. It serves me well. I'm that one who can order at restaurants and tells people, okay, here's how you know the basics. Yeah. Okay, we, we digress there. We can talk about wine some other time. We probably okay. should and have some. So I'm interested in what finally led you to, lead, to write a book because you've been doing this for a while. So what made it finally time to put it in writing? Hmm. Yes, I have been doing this for a while. I've been doing my actual coaching work for 13 years, but I've been in the sustainability space for more than 20. And so I have written a lot. I do, I write a lot of blogs and articles, and I've shared a lot of my intel and my thoughts and my inspirations with my audiences over the years. And I think that's really helped me build the business in a way because it's it's let me do it virtually and digitally. And it's how you build the trust and relationships and the gravitas you need to be able to then sell services. So I just thought all this content, I need to do something with it, right? Plus I had written the course that I do for career changers. So it's my career change part of my business is something that I then turned into an online course in 2017, I think it was 2018. 
And that was an undertaking. I felt like giving birth. I mean, that took me, you know, to get everything, as you know, with like video and editing and the sound. And it was a lot of work, plus just getting the content right and the whole curriculum and the curation. So once I did that, I was like exhausted. I'm like, I can't do this again. But then I realized a few years after that, that I had built the online course to be more affordable for people that maybe couldn't afford coaching. Mm. So they might not be able to afford my time, but I wanted to be able to give them the tools and the resources so that they could do it on their own. And then I realized even that sometimes people don't have quite the appetite for something as rigorous as an online course. So I thought I need another product that can be a bit more scalable. People in India people at university or anyone and their brother can have access to a $20 or I don't think it's that much anymore. It's like $15 book Mm. and get access to some of my nuggets, some of my golden nuggets, some of my thoughts, my insights, my tools, my tips that I've shared over the years in different formats. Mm. And my dad was an intellectual. He passed in September. So and was one of my closest friends and champions all of my life. So I feel very honored that I was able to publish it before he passed because he was obsessed with books, had a PhD and just all I remember about him growing up too was just he read and read and read and he read four papers a day. and So I think it was a little bit of that, like doing it for dad. So that's so beautiful because it didn't come from ego in any way. It sounds as if you really gave it as an offering to the world to be able to Mm. be a multiplier, to be accessible, Mm. to have it be something somebody could pick up, even if they don't have time or inclination or money to do a major coaching course or whatever. So that's really beautiful. I love knowing Mm. that actually. (laughs) Yeah. And I want to bring in, so you posted something on LinkedIn the other day that I commented on that I loved, which was about where you are in your personal journey right now and about how having a vision board is such a powerful thing. So I mentioned in your intro that you're about to start splitting your time between Italy and Cambridge, which is a long time dream. Let's just talk to people about vision boards and I'll share a bit Mm. about like sort of what's come up on mine because mine's not so much pretty as it's sticky notes, I'm looking at it in my office right now, Mm. sticky notes on a cork board behind a gold frame, which is like, this is going to happen by this date. And more often than not, it does. So, you know, I'm going to spend summers in Wyoming from 2024. Well, guess what? That's happening in 2023 when I start leading leadership retreats there and stuff like that. So talk about your vision board and and what's happening in your life as a result. Well, I think you and I are very similar, Betsy, in terms of our kind of belief in energy and the universe and some of my fellow yoga teachers less spirit, yeah some of my less spiritual friends might say it's woo woo but i believe in the woo woo and i believe that if you the law of attraction it really yeah. goes back to the law of attraction and we often think that that means about two people getting together but that's actually not what law of attraction is it's really about you send out a message mm. to the universe you're putting it out there and that energy then the, the well, the energy that you're sending out is almost willing it into being. And there's a book that I read more than 30 years ago, which completely changed my life because it's what inspired me to move to Patagonia, Chile at the time in my late 20s, called The Alchemist by mm-hmm. Paolo Kello. Yeah. And that book basically set that in mind for me as if you put it out there, the whole world will conspire to make it happen. And I love that kind of idea that 
it's not just the universe as this big random blob out there. It's actually people that you then come in contact with and an energy force that you really, it's coming from within that you've committed and you're intentional now about making that happen for yourself. Mm -hmm. So it could be about being a better person or it could be about owning a Vespa or it could be about helping a certain number of people. It's not just material things on the vision board, right? It's, um, it's just about visualizing what you want it, your life, your relationships, your being, your purpose to look like. And I think it's a really underpins a lot of what we do as coaches, right? We're helping people to visualize and then articulate and then be intentional about making happen what they really want to have happen in their lives to show and to prove that we have agency. Mm. And that's one of my favorite words in the world is how we all, each of us have a choice every day and every minute of how we're going to spend our time, what we're going to be thinking, Mm -hmm. how we're going to invest our resources. And that agency is just an overwhelmingly beautiful force of nature. And that Mm -hmm. happens when we put it on a board or we put it on a sticky note or we just verbalize it, right? You own it, right? You're owning it. it. Yeah. 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 And it does happen. It's the craziest thing. (laughs) I love, so I'm going to ask you next, like, okay, what's happened as a result of yours? But Mm. I also love that we like the magic of that. But I recently did a series of courses with a guy called Dr. David Hamilton, who wrote a book called Why Woo Woo Works. Oh, I might need to read that one. Oh, he's brilliant. He's a scientist. Scottish Uh guy. Brilliant. But he's a scientist and also dying to get him on the podcast. So if anyone listening actually knows him, lives in Scotland Mm. and Dunblane, I probably know some people who do. I want him on the podcast. But he talks about how actually, you know, it's sort of Newtonian physics. It's Mm. it's about sort of saying, I'm going to go there. I'm a mountain biker. So it's like choosing your line. Don't look at the things Mm. you don't want to hit. Look at the things that you do want to – look the direction you do want to go. So like Newtonian Mm. physics, old-fashioned physics, was the idea that an atom – is there and it's sort of, it doesn't move and you have to look for it. And now we understand that that's not the case. And so we know that an atom appears where you look for it in reality. Mm. So it's that same idea applied to like, look where you want to go, create a vision for you want to, where you want to go. And then subconsciously you will get there. You will create mm. that reality and the things around you will move to create th- that reality. And that is mm. literally physics. So mm. it's sort of like it's you can put it in scientific, less woo-woo terminology. I like the woo-woo. We love the woo-woo. It feels good. It's ritual. It's it's what we've signed up to. But if you're sort of skeptical and listening to this, it's actually it's it's reality. We create reality. So if you don't want to be intentional about your life and just think it happens to you, that's an intention too. That's creating mm. your reality. But instead yeah. you can have agency and own it and create it by things like having a vision board or I have a quarterly self-strategy day where Mm -hmm. I set my strategy for my work and my life and what my balance is going to be and what I will have achieved by the end of it. And it's rocket fuel. I started doing it last year and it's just, wow, just wow. I always go above and beyond that and it never feels hard because I've set my Mm. intention and just set it loose. Just forget about it. Mm. Mm. So yeah. So let's talk about, okay, what's happening for you now because of that vision? Oh, so for me... 
Yeah. I mean, when I was in my 20s, I lived in Sicily. My first love was a Sicilian and I moved there after university and my parents thought I was crazy and I probably was. And I learned Italian, became affluent in it and was obsessed by the language and the culture and ended up moving back to the States, but then traveling back and forth to Italy regularly for months at a time. And then when I moved to Europe years, years later, I again, spent a lot of my vacation time in Italy. So, but I completely lost the language and I had replaced it with Spanish and French and other languages en route. And I just, I don't know, there was something about the Italian language and the culture and it just always felt like home mm. to me when I would go to Italy. But I felt a disconnect probably because I had lost the language and I would just go there on vacation. And so in the back of my mind and on my vision board, you know, I said, I want to, be able to have a bolt hole there someday, just something that it can be mine. And it's a tiny, you know, a small apartment or something just so I can have a place that I can call mine and learn the language again and be in the mountains. So where mm. I live in Cambridge is very flat. I'm a mountain girl. My spiritual space is in the mountains. Amen. All of my favorite sports are mountain sports. And I've always studied languages and really, I don't know, it gives me energy, the whole multicultural piece mm. of things. And I don't get that as much in England. So yeah, so I, I met my partner a year and a half ago and his brother and wife have had a place there for five years because they import Italian wines. And so we went to visit them and I fell in love with this town and it was accessible from the UK and it just made sense and it was in the mountains and yeah, it just all happened. It's just, uh, yeah, you just, you know, you have to kind of believe that it's possible, I think is the mm -hmm. key thing, right? And I believe really anything is possible. I've always pretty much believed that. Okay. So yeah, so I'm doing it with my partner and we're having a lot of fun. It's to kind of taking our relationship to the next <laughs> level of commitment, which is fun yeah. as well. And, together, man. It's married. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. much married in yeah. my book. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm learning Italian again and it's just fun. It's just fun. And I needed a little bit of a, I don't know, something new to get me excited about life again. I love my life. I've got, I'm very happy and I'm very stable, but I just get an itch, I yeah. think. So it was the right time. And after two years of pandemic and lockdowns, it's what a beautiful explosion back into travel and international mm. and reclaiming Italy for yourself mm. well and a little bit in my dad a little bit in my dad's honor too because he was very international and loved traveling and languages so I feel like there's a little bit of him in this even though he won't see it your dad sounds like a legend I wish yeah, I got to meet him a legend. but I loved what you said about it it just it felt easy and I think mm. that's something you hear quite often mm. you, you see people starting to live with more intention and having a vision board and they're just like, oh, and it just happened. It just happened. Yeah. yeah. It's like my quarterly strategy day when I'm like, this is how much I will make. And I will have this many contracts and this much stability and I don't even know where they're going to come from. And then I look back they do. and it, there it is. There it is. Yeah. So if you're Love skeptical, it. if you've never done this, try it. I will include the link to Shannon's vision board exercise, which is a good one in the show notes. But also just try it and report back. Do it for yeah. three months. Just set a vision on one thing or many things. Sketch out your life and then just totally forget about it. Just try out the woo-woo. Yeah, we need to just out try the out the woo-woo and just see. 
it is underpinned by science, as yeah. we've just said. So it's, it's <laughs> all I like good. To say, it's science. Yeah. Don't ask me all the specifics, but it's science. But it's true. It's true. The more I learn about this stuff, the more I'm like, we didn't make it up. It's the laws of the universe. We're just it getting, is. we're finally remembering them. And we're applying our modern understanding through science to things that have always been true. It's really mm -hmm. interesting to watch this process take hold and more and more very rational leadery types be like, of course. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, let's wrap this up because I want to ask you to leave us with a few things. So what excites you about the future? Just in general, what's, mm. what's happening in the world that makes you think, I'm really happy to have kids in this world? Mm, well, it's funny you say kids because actually my answer is youth. Mm. I think our these new, younger generations, and this sounds like I'm an old lady, but honestly, like pretty much any younger generation is just more woke. They just, they, mm. they're seeing so much of this happening around them, whether it was the growing up with a pandemic or the war in Russia or any of the, the racial strifes, the, it's just all around them. Front page news all the time is how everything is so challenging. And I think mm. they're all growing up much more intentional. And there's even statistics about how, the millennials, which are now in their thirties, but you know, the millennials were even willing to take salary, less salary for roles and jobs that make a difference and that have purpose or where the organization is more employee focused. So I just think they're making choices that we maybe didn't get a chance to make because it's so ingrained in who they are now as it matters and that they know they have a chance to make a difference in their own buying patterns, in their own educations, and mm. how they treat each other. So there's just, I don't know, there's a beauty in this, this wave of this, this next generation. That's what gets me excited and, and hopeful. Yeah, that's beautiful. Because I know so many people who are like, how could I bring kids into this world? But they are the hope. And they're going to grow up be able to cope in this context better than we possibly can, because they won't have the same discomfort of change as we do because we're used to things being a certain way and every generation has that. And that's a theme in this, this season of the podcast is the discomfort mm. of change and mm. why it's necessary. So yeah, let them guide you. That's what I would say. Oh, I've got a great quote for you. If, if that's your theme, I actually wrote this down to talk about to, as one of my quotes for today, which is from the Buddha and it's change is never painful. Mm. Only the resistance to change is painful. And that's one of my all-time favorite mantra quotes that I live by. That's so true. I talk about it in my yoga classes. Like, we only suffer because we make ourselves suffer. <laughs> suffering is only suffering because we, we decide we to let suffer. ourselves suffer. Exactly. Yeah, it's completely yeah. it. Yep. It's a beautiful quote. It's what you let yourself think about the situation. Yeah. Whichever dog you feed is the one that's more powerful, the black dog or the white dog or whatever you mm, want to say. Love it. Yeah. yeah. Well, so what's one final thought you'd like to leave people with about impact or their career or the world? Mm. You got this. Just believe that you've got the, the skills, the potential, the purpose, the power, whatever it is that you actually are on this planet for a reason. What is your impact going to be? Small or big? It doesn't have to be big, right? Mm. And just believe in yourself. Believe in all the beauty that you have. Oh, I love that. Well, I can't add anything at all to that other than to thank you for being here and to tell people to remember 
you've got this. Thanks for getting uncomfortable with me. If you enjoyed this episode, follow and like The Discomfort Practice wherever you listen to podcasts, leave me a five-star and written review, and share this with other people. Help me to reach new audiences with this idea that consciously practicing discomfort helps us to individually and collectively discover our superpowers and create a society and a planet where everyone can thrive. Thank you so much to my guests all season. Go back and listen to a few more episodes to hear more of them. They are wonderful humans doing amazing things in the world. Thanks to my team who helped me produce this podcast. And for those who inspire me through their writing, their conversation, and their support. So that's all from me for now. Follow me on Instagram at the Betsy Reed if you want to get to know me a bit better, some of my thoughts. And in the meantime, stay uncomfortable. <laughs>